Hello, welcome to 360 Yourself, the podcast show centered around self-awareness and improvement. I'm Jamie Neal, host of 360 Yourself. So, a little bit of information of how the podcast came about. In 2014, I had a breakdown and was hospitalized. Too much work, too much anxiety, too much coffee, and not enough self-care. In the hospital, lying there with my thoughts, I had to rethink my entire way of life. The doctor said I was overworked and my body just gave up. Now, I'm not gonna say it wasn't scary, but it was a bit of a turning point for me. From there, I started to rebuild myself, reading hundreds of self-help books and questioning everything from, why do we have triggers? Why do we have egos? What is manifesting and what is identity? Many years later, someone recommended that I start a podcast because I've always been interested about how others lead their lives. And thus, 360 Yourself was born, interviewing incredible minds about how they understand themselves and how they utilize their knowledge and awareness to set out into their space. 360 Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant and curious minds and looking at the world around them. I speak to artists, musicians, sports athletes, authors, CEOs, and experts in human behaviors, released every Sunday at 12 p.m. I ask questions about their mindset, journey, values, and ethos to fully understand how each of their minds work. How can we become more of ourselves to grow to the ultimate person we know we can be? If you do enjoy the episodes that you're listening to, please visit our Instagram page at 360 underscore yourself to let us know what you like and how you're learning. Or you can email us jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. That's jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. Hey, how are you doing, my lovely? I'm very well. How are you doing? Good. So we were just, we, I just had a moment of spiraling of you're just basically in Lisbon. So just first of all, I love Lisbon. Um, I was there. My first time there was 2015. And then I was there 2018. Yeah. I think it was. Oh, wow. If you want to go to somewhere that is really authentic, does one euro wine Lisbon end of mic drop? It is such well that's it we've finished now go to Lisbon and that's yeah. it and that was the podcast episode you don't need to hear anything else from me we, also um, no, just I, really, I, you... but I always I always like to elaborate that I'm I'm not being paid by any travel PR or anything <laughs> that about and Lisbon tourist sort of thing I just love places like this anyway so why are you in Lisbon first of all so I also have a real affinity um, with Lisbon. I came I came here years ago with my ex-boyfriend. But then more recently, I had a very good friend of mine, Amy Thompson, um, moved to Lisbon. I think it was last, I mean, she moved a couple of years ago. And last September, so this time last year, I came and visited her. I was just in a bit of like a creative slump. I felt just a bit burnt out. But I was in one of those burnout phases. I was like, I don't think I've achieved enough to be burnt out. I was just, you know, you just, you, your head feels all sort of haywire. Yeah. Anyway, she was like, babe, come to Lisbon. This will cure you of any sort of global malaise you're suffering with. And I mean, day one, I was like, I don't want to be here. I'm still, you know, creatively something. And then honestly, by day two, it was like my soul just like unfurled. Um, and I think for me, I read a lot. And um, when I arrived at her apartment, there's this beautiful orange blossom tree that sits just outside her window and it has, she has the most incredible panoramic views of the city. And then sitting lying on her, on the desk that's opposite me was the book, The Source by Tara Swart, Dr. Tara Swart, who is a neuroscientist. And it's all about the neuroscience behind manifestation and how you can really uh, construct the life that you want through the power of being able to control your mind. So Mm -hmm. she has a very scientific perspective. And it was one of those books that just found me as books always do when I really needed it. So I had this amazing week in Lisbon where I was reading this book, 
on the neuroscience behind manifestation and I was just like re just getting in touch with my like soul and being and I just and I think ever since that week it just became in my mind it's just been become my like happy place um and I've since returned quite a few times I've actually the woman I'm staying with the friend I'm staying with now is the person I met this time last year on this day as well so I've now got all these kind of roots in Lisbon and I just return when I feel like I need to get back in touch with that like happy bit and this time around I'm learning how to surf so amazing but so so what's the book called just so we can echo that so it's called Source great it's called The Source and it's by Dr Tara Swart yeah I really really recommend it I think I'm not super that's I'm not not spiritual but I'm like not like really into like ceremonies and manifestation which I'm very big in Lisbon but give me the scientific background to manifesting give me the neuroscience which she does so well and I'm sold and that for me was what was so compelling about Dr. Swartz's whole book and it really yeah it changed my perspective on quite a few things so I thoroughly recommend it yeah I mean man I I talk about manifestation quite a lot and I did an interview recently and I and I discussed it in a little bit in the in the uh, in the um in the question talking about like how one actually I mean Oprah I think Oprah says sort of like you vision it and then you sort of have to do it and and I and I, and I also think because obviously that there's sort of an element of luck and being in the right place at the right time but there's also something about like the subconsciousness of like vi- envisioning it and then because it's in your brain subconsciously you're driving towards that yeah and then you're actively actioning certain things to put you in certain situations or spaces but then your brain is doing its thing at the back which I can't understand how it does it but it does do it and then suddenly you arrive at your thing because it's sort of like you've got like a a poster of a picture at the back of your brain that you can't see it but you're you've got your back towards it but it's there so totally. So Dr. Tara Swart describes it as essentially becoming learning how to optimize your brain's filtering system. So when you do a manifestation board, as she um, suggests that one does. So you put all these, you have this kind of put all these pictures of like the life that you want, the things that are really important to you in your life. And you put them all on this big board. And she said, in doing that, as you say, you imprint in your mind, you have this very kind of visual um manifestation of the life that you want to lead and as a result your brain becomes attuned like those sorts of things and she's the example of if I said to you now for the rest of your day notice blue things so everything blue that you see like make a mental note of it suddenly you're becoming attuned to all these blue things which you it's not that they weren't there before they were there before it's just that you weren't like looking out for them so it's just about like the brain well obviously the brain is was so hyper exposed to so many different things throughout our days but we don't it's about kind of making sure that you are focusing on the right things and the things that you want so when you're manifesting as she describes it as you say you're really just kind of identifying what it is you want to be taking note of and then that kind of helps essentially move you towards those things so it just makes sense from a neurological perspective and I think she also makes a point which I found really um resonant that in today's world we're so overexposed just so much information that it's really easy to become just totally overwhelmed so she said like in one sitting with the news the newspaper you're essentially being exposed to as much information about the world and people around you as people many, many, many years ago would have been exposed to in their whole lifetime. So never has it been more important to really be able to come to, to work that filtering system in your brain because it is having to do, filter out so much kind of outside noise um, that just ends up being kind of clutter in the mind. So I think I do feel increasingly like I think I also think, sorry, just a second point now, 
with regards to manifesting, I think it just also helps to be clear on what you want and be clear in kind of the direction that you're moving in. And I think for me personally, I actually haven't finished making my manifesting board. So actually this is a very great reminder that I need to go back to that. But I think it helps kind of focus the mind on like, what are like the order of priority of things that you want in your life? And I think seeing them very visibly on this board, I think is a really kind of helpful way of helping you do that. What do you want? What do you want? Oh, what do I want? God, it's so, it's, you know, there's a reason in Lisbon. I always come here when I'm doing, I'm just searching for these answers and I'm looking to calm down. What do I want? I would love to, well, if I'm being really honest, uh, I really want to have my own show one day, like Graham Norton, but with more of a kind of like cultural um, arts kind of focus to it. So yeah. kind of less celebrity focused. And basically I just, I, so I run an event series called Sex Talks and a number of other different events. And they always have this feel of being like a live show. They feel quite Graham Norton. I feel like we're in the studio. The audience is so amazing. I love that rapport that I have with the audience I think it's such a fun I think there's something about live events I've always worked in in live events it's kind of part of my media background and there's just something so specific about the, the energy you get in that environment when you have a really fascinating kind of multi-dimensional interview with some kind of great speakers but you also have that audience participation to me it just feels like you're just all in this really glorious collective um conversation so I'm working towards turning that kind of concept into a show that would then be, I mean, probably in kind of digital format, so on YouTube, but yeah, so that's what I'm working towards. And then, you know, obviously, you know, health, happiness and everlasting love. Would be there you amazing. go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, I mean, if anyone is listening from channel four or the BBC, yeah. who's a head of development, um, you know that you're going to be getting a pitch. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. And I'm excited and I'm going to get started. I'm very much, I've always been to, to the, for, both good and for bad, I just do everything myself. So I've always, I mean, I've always like started my own businesses, started my yeah. events, started everything. So I'm, so I'm just going to do it. This then, sounds like, we'll a, like a, this sounds like a Hulu sort of production. Yeah. I can, I can much. see it at Hulu for some random That's, reason. Maybe this is, maybe this is why I'm in Lisbon. And we're having this conversation whilst I'm in Lisbon. You're going to be the one that gives me the little nugget of information I need to push me in the direction of, the, of creating maybe. show. So maybe, maybe, maybe because you, it's, it's very different, isn't it? Like the UK sort of like uh, development scene and the American, well, I know it's different. It's very different sort of way of working. Yeah. Um. So I, I and, and also there's a sort of element of building that community, right? Because I mean, I always say to people like chicken shop, the girl that did that would just did it as a web series, I think, and then yeah. developed it from that. And now I now I seen in London, she actually has official chicken shop restaurants in yeah. Soho. She does. I think I actually I she also has a production companies called Chicken Shop, right? I mean, she's, yeah. she's basically made this whole franchise around Chicken, chicken Shop, shop which, is which is a brilliant idea. Like like the same people, that, same people who did um spicy chicken wing thing. With celebrities yeah. and chicken wings. Same thing, same concept. Super, super smart. Yeah. I mean, it's an argument for picking your thing and just fucking running yeah. with it. I, and I think, yeah, go ahead. No, you go, go, go. I was just going to say, I think for me, my background has been, I've always worked in journalism and media. And I think that speaks to their like innate curiosity that is the fuel that drives me to do everything. And I think for me, it's always tricky sticking with one thing because I just feel so perennially fascinated with such a myriad of different things that I do think just finding one format and sticking to it doggedly is something I find a real challenge. Because as soon as I start, I've been running sex talks for like a year and it's amazing kind of run of sold out events. It's expanding, getting sponsorship, moving, taking it to pop-ups um, in different countries, which is super, super exciting. But already I'm like, 
cool. What are the other three million things that I'm doing alongside it? What are the other verticals I'm building? Like I never, I don't think I'll ever be someone who's able to just do one thing and like expand it out. I'm always going to have to do lots of other verticals and pillars and bits around it. So, Are you a Gemini? I am. How did you know? Because I'm a Gemini (laughs) and you sound exactly like me. Yeah, it's just that constant need for yeah. additional stimulus. But you I know, know what? I also think, do you know, it makes you, and I'd be curious to know your experience with this, I also think it makes you better, well, sometimes there's lack of focus, but it makes you typically, I think, better at what you do because you bring a breadth of perspective that I think can sometimes otherwise be lacking if you just do the one thing. That's this my is true. argument for this being is true. I, I always say that I've experienced so many different kind of lives in different areas, which all kind of amalgamate. So I know a lot about lots of different things because I just... yeah. Uh, like a shiny thing over there, I'll go and explore that. And yeah, and I'm pretty sure that, that I mean, um, uh, what is the the filmmaker Takaway Tiki, Taike Waitiki? That's how you, I think that's his name. He he yes. oh, he did um Roger Rabbit that film, and then he did he's did the new Thor film as a director and writer. But yeah. he has a podcast which I watched about four weeks ago, about a month ago. And it was him talking about, it was like 10 years ago or 12 years ago. And it was him talking about creativity and because he was a writer and he was a designer, a graphic designer, and he write all these things and he draw these things and he just experienced loads of different creative outlets and then suddenly found script writing and then became like a filmmaker and writer. But before that, he was doing so many other things. And I just think maybe he's Gemini. I don't know. I'd love to actually, I need to probably Google that. But um, can you please, but let's find that out. As soon as we stop recording, we're both going to go and Google that because I would love to know. I find that let me find find out now. Do it in real time. I do it in real time. So, um, yeah, but I I always think about the idea of the idea of focus. And I, for a long time, maybe other people who are listening, but I was always told that like do one thing and really focus on that. And I try to do that. And then I was like, well, that's not how I am built. I'm not my DNA or the way that I made or created or shaped by my environment doesn't doesn't allow me to really just don't even want them because then I get really sad and I go oh I'm not yeah. really enjoying what I'm doing because I'm only doing one thing and I feel like as long as you have a slight focus of where you're going and it's not so sporadic I mean it can be depends on how you want to progress in your life because obviously you have to sort of do narrow-ish to really build success but yes. as long as your things connect together in a sort of smart way, then you can sort of do a lot of different things and, and also be equally happy. I completely agree with that. It's been something I've been reflecting on a lot recently as I think about what my next steps are from a kind of career perspective and how I want to grow sex talks and everything around that. And I think that for me, I kind of had to stand back and be like, okay, is sex and sexual wellness and the pleasure gap, is that my expertise? Or is my expertise that I is presenting and broadcasting and writing and hosting events and that kind of curation that sits around that, which is the bit that is the undercurrent to everything I've always done career-wise and what I really, really love. And it's definitely the latter. And I think the topic I'm getting to explore now with through sex talks is so fascinating to me. And I think for me, the kind of through line throughout my career has always been gender inequality and the different ways in which it shows up. So I used to work with Tina Brown in America for her Women in the World Summit. Um, mm-hmm. 
my previous company was a um, creative production agency focused on um, telling stories that elevated the female perspective. So that's always been the focus. Now Sex Talk is obviously looking at the, the orgasm gap and saying kind of how does that, how can we look at gender inequality societally through the prism of sex and sexuality? So there's kind of this through line. I think for me, it's like finding what are the through lines throughout your work? So what are the kind of the, what's the overarching kind of theme topic wise that really sits underneath everything you're doing so for me it's always been around gender inequality um and really like taboo topics i love talking about things that people like shy away from or like oh this is a bit awkward we shouldn't really talk about that i'm like why that to me is like where that will be interesting give me, give me an um, example kind of, of something you should be talking about we could well we could be talking about that's a bit shy oh that's a great question well it's okay so i mean the whole sex talks is really about addressing the different taboos that still exist around sex and particularly female pleasure um, so throughout the whole series, we've covered a whole range of different things. So specific, I mean, look, looked at the orgasm gap, looked at kind of how fantasy and kink and the kind of still the kind of shame that is still kind of so, so rooted in that sexual shame more broadly and the ways it's rooted in religion, upbringing, um, familial um, ideas around sex. Um, we've looked at sex secrets. So the what the secrets we keep about our sex lives say about us. Um, have focused on so many different topics. And I think... It's interesting because I think some people come back to me and say, hang on a second, sex isn't taboo anymore. Sex is everywhere. And I agree with that because I think that we do live in a society in which we are you know, sex sells. Sex is, you know, go throughout all marketing and everything. But I think we have a very specific, quite reductive, quite narrow idea of, of sex that's portrayed in media and film, um, how it's spoken about. And I think actually when it comes to like the vulnerabilities and the insecurities and like the boundaries that we have around sex, I think it's still, those aren't rediscussed. Really and I know that to be true, at least in terms of the audience that fills out sex talks every month. Um, and kind of comes to the various things that I do, that so many people come to me after and say, I have never ever spoken about sex openly with my partner. I have never had an orgasm. I have never had sex before. And I feel ashamed about that. And every event, at the end of every single event I do, I do an anonymous Q&A, um, which to me is kind of like, uh, I, I set it up to be a bit like kind of group sex therapy. Um, uh, and kind of to give people the opportunity to ask the questions they maybe feel too embarrassed to ask again because we still do have a taboo around lots of different sex specific issues and honestly I get a pile of questions at the end of every event that are just so varied and so I think to me represent how many unanswered questions we still have around sex and exploring our sexuality and how there is still such shame around discussing those things give me, so give me, that was um, very I, like, yeah what, what is a question what is a question that, that a you would that, say, what I get asked all the time. Yeah, would you say that is really important to kind of address and answer? I think a lot of times I get different variations on the expectations people have around where they should be with sex versus where they are. And by that, I mean, I think there's a lot, I think there seems to be a lot of pressure. I mean, I certainly felt this that you should be having sex in a certain way. You should have this amount of sexual experience. You should enjoy sex in this way. You shouldn't like doing that sort of thing. There are lots of shoulds around sex. There's an amazing sex therapist, Dr. Kate Moyle, who, not doctor, sorry, not doctor. She's Kate Moyle. I've elevated her, given her the doctor status, which she deserves. Why not? Um, but Kate Moyle, exactly. She, she talks about um, no more should sex. So she has banned the word should from her therapy room. And I think it's really interesting because I think that is what I get in, in the different questions that come up in every talk. There is this kind of, I think, there is a real sense that there is kind of, yeah, there are all these kind of pressures that you should be having sex in a very specific way. Again, you should have had, you should have this amount of experience, et cetera, et cetera. And I think actually for me, what's been the most important thing to discuss throughout the series is that 
everyone is on their own sexual journey. We've all been inundated, I think, with um, ideas about sex, kind of representations through pornography or through film that have, I think, a lot of times put real primacy on male pleasure that don't necessarily give us a very kind of full picture of sex. When you combine that with the lack of sex education that people are getting in schools, I think it kind of sets us up to fail and not actually feel confident and competent in exploring our sexual self ourselves and at our own pace so I think for me a really important question to address or really important issue to address is that you shouldn't feel like sex should be any sort of way you should be feel free to explore sex and your sexuality in whatever way and capacity you feel able to do so obviously within kind of safe parameters but so yeah I never felt that the should of having sex I don't know why I never felt it really no I just sort of like I don't know just <laughs> just went with it and just explored but some people feel I don't know why people feel like they should because it's so personable though isn't it so why would they feel like they should pressure. is it I think I think when you first start doing it yeah probably yeah maybe but I don't know what's the pressure when you get older I mean, God, I felt so much pressure because I didn't really enjoy having sex. And I felt like sex was always for another person. It was always very performative for me. I felt that I, um, yeah, I felt quite kind of disconnected from sex. I was sexually assaulted when I was younger, as most women have been experienced and had a really bad eating disorder growing up again, as so many women have experienced. And so I had this real disconnect from my body. And I think sex had been something that I'd always felt had been done to me rather than something that I was like really like enjoying and participating with that had experienced lots of like older men when I was younger and things that just didn't make me feel that good mm -hmm. and so I think that my um I didn't really feel like I had a very strong counter narrative to that that's about like you know your pleasure matters and for sure you know, that's really about, big. yeah that's really yeah, big. No, I didn't really and I think that's the big thing is that I you know sex education at school was very much don't get pregnant and don't get an STI the conversations I was having at school about sex with my friends were in a way there was kind of like a competitiveness of like who had more sexual experience and I true? felt this huge, I felt when my friends started having sex like quite young I really wasn't ready but I felt like I was falling behind and kind of felt like I, I had to mm -hmm. I was genuinely like terrified of sex I found it really scary again I'd had so many issues with my body was bulimic for years anorexic I just didn't have a good relationship with my body and that really translated across to sex and I think as a result I just kind of just did it and had these experiences that weren't that great and it wasn't until I met my first boyfriend like proper long-term boyfriend at university that I began to like recalibrate my relationship to sex and kind of enjoy it a bit more but even then there was so much like unsaid in the context of that relationship I know that you know he's an incredible person I think he had a lot of like pressure around like ideas around sex masculinity there's a lot of stuff I still felt like it was my duty as a girlfriend to have sex so I think it was still couched in all these like quite traditional ideas around what sex should be mm. and it genuinely wasn't until I did sex therapy like two years ago um because I hadn't been able to orgasm and partnered sex for like since me and my ex-boyfriend broke up it wasn't until I did sex therapy that I really genuinely became comfortable in talking about it in an open way and I mean to be able to yeah, I just see it rather than being something that was like this elephant in the room. I'd always be, you know, go on dates and be scared about the going back and having sex. I just felt like I wasn't good at it. I didn't know what to do. I felt awkward saying how I felt. And it's only genuinely doing sex therapy that's really changed my whole perspective and relationship to sex. Interesting. I had a totally opposite experience. I had Really? Oh, tell opposite. me about yours. Totally opposite. So I I mean, I mean, there was a pressure, obviously, because you're a guy 
in school and so obviously your mates were like oh all that sort of stuff and but I also just really but I also there's also that pressure of like doing it and and also doing it well because you don't know what you're doing but then I think after after like 22 23 I just sort of just in just enjoy and sat into it and just in just enjoyed having it but then I then but I also that I also found that I wasn't very good at communicating just in general in life yeah (laughs) and I became better at communicating one like what I wanted in life to people just in general yeah but then I also got better at just communicating in the bedroom as well and it wasn't and I and I had a really great experience I um had a friend who was do who was a director at um working on this sex play in Soho Theatre back in oh wow uh, the middle of my 20s and um we they got to interview um this famous play uh, called People Places and Things which was in the West End and it was about uh, a, a, I think it was about addiction and she was working as an associate on the show and she brought in 20 of these people and interviewed them about their sex lives and said, um, and I was in, in these things and I was listening in and they said, and they all talked about their sexual, sexual, sexual experiences and they talked about sex being a, a piece of choreography. And I was like, this is fascinating. And so then after that, I started reevaluating my own process of how I did sex. And then I was like, oh, actually, I'm in a, I'm actually in a choreography myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it. I'm not going to do the things I usually do. And I'm actually going to break the cycle. So then I would do things out of comfort and out of the norm. And because we talked about the idea of like kissing, then you take off the clothes and then she does that. And then you do that. And then he does that. And then it finishes. So I was like, well, I'm just going to abolish that. And I'm just going to explore. And I'm just going to like, cause I don't want to be in a choreography, which I knew, which I thought I wasn't, but I actually was. And then from there it was fine. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, well, first of all, I need to look up this play. Cause it sounds absolutely fascinating. Well, it, was, it, was it wasn't about, like... it wasn't about sex, but this play was about sex that, that we, yeah, and so she wanted but... to interview people. And so it was like a penis and a vagina, a person, it was two, a two person play. Yeah. And the person was a, a vagina and the other person was a penis. And, but they had conversations like sexual, like in bedrooms, in yeah. toilets, in the club as penises and as vaginas. Wow, this sounds utterly fascinating. I need to look. As, oh my gosh, I'm going to look that up immediately. I also like the idea of it being kind of like almost, almost like a kind of Catholic confessional of like saying what you really think and feel about sex, but you know, in the privacy of. But I, 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 I think there is a total taboo about like, but I think yeah. it's like finding the right person though. Because if you say I'm fantasizing about blah, you have to have yeah. the right person who's mature enough to understand what that means and not go, oh, all right then. Because of course you want you might want to be vocal, but it's also how that person, your partner or the person you're with, is going to react to it. So I totally. think it's about finding the right person because you might be comfortable saying it, but you might the person might not be able to receive it in the way it needs to be intended. A hundred percent. And actually, that reminds me in the and recent sex talks event, I interviewed the um, uh, founder of Marbin Elm, which is a shop and Exmouth market in London. And they, she recently, she actually just published a book about this, but she collected the nation's sex secrets. Um, so she's basically been sending out these postcards to people all around the UK, asking them to write their top sex secret in and then mail it into the shop. And what she's ended up um, collecting is kind of amassing this broad collection of people's sex secrets, that, which as Kate Moyle, the sex therapist, I mentioned earlier describes it as like the best sex education because it reveals the 
universality of a lot of the anxieties we carry around sex, a lot of the things people aren't able to communicate. And one of the, the sex secrets that she read out at the event, which really stuck with me, was someone who wrote in and said, um, I, I asked my wife if she or my partner if she would ever like experience, like if she would peg me. So that's like basically put like a dildo up his dildo, butt. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a, and it was um, a heteronormative couple. Um, she said no and hasn't been able to look me in the eye since or something to that effect. Mm. And I thought that's so interesting. We discussed it at the event because that's someone who is open opening up a conversation about sexual fantasy they have and then the other person is immediately shutting it down and making it a subject of shame and making it something that is yeah is is shameful exactly and actually and I think that just so speaks to I think an inability within that dynamic of being able to have the open honest communication that's not to say you should be able to tell your sexual partner this is my fantasy they're like okay cool great let's do it obviously that might break their boundaries but to at least be able to say okay so I, I hear you on the sexual fantasy you have, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this, but why don't we try this instead? Exactly. So at least you're feeling both kind of able to, and that, but that really comes down as you, as you articulated there to both parties having, I guess, like, I mean, it's such a cliche thing to say, having like done the work, but having like really spent the time to understand what their boundaries are when it comes to sex and to mm-hmm. kind of be comfortable enough in their own sex and sexuality to be able to have those conversations more openly and to be open to to listening and potentially exploring someone else's fantasies so yeah i mean my sex therapist said to me i mean every single session communication 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 it really does come down to being able to articulate yeah what it is is you want how you're feeling yeah and and also saying no when you actually know that you won't like it because I think, oh my gosh, yes. I think because I, when I used to, what I used to do when I was younger, I would not want to do something, and then I would just go along with it because I'm like, I'm, I'm just exploring, yeah. right? And now I yeah. got older, and I'm like, now I know I don't like it, and I would just say, or I know I haven't, I haven't gone there, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like that. So I now I know confident enough to go. You know what? I don't really. It's not for me, even though I don't, I don't need to go there. Yeah. Because I now know that I don't want to go there. Isn't that just like the total joy of getting older though is learning to say no and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, I think it's great. It is something, it is wonderful. I think <laughs> I'm really having, I turned 30 recently and have Me had too. this kind of, have you, isn't it? This I mean, year. I've had all these like, incredible, Me Too, these like epiphanic realizations whereby suddenly I have a much, almost a kind of like arrogant sense of self whereby I'm like, nope, I know that's the boundary. Nope, I don't like that. But it's really joyful being able to say actually you know what I have gone along with this I've gone along with that for like majority of my life this does not bring me joy I do not like being in those situations so I'm just not going to be in them and having the kind of confidence and yeah and security to to just yeah to say no and to set but those boundaries down there's there's a dev, there's a devil's dev, advocate right so what if, what, love what, what, what what if though you think you know what you don't really want and it's over yeah. there right yeah but actually it comes from trauma and subconsciously, you're actually saying yeah. no over there because you think yeah. you really know yourself, but actually it's comes from trauma, question mark. I, I mean, I think that your whole, I mean, just again, kind of fall into some cliches here, but I think that our whole, like you spend your life continuing to figure out new aspects of yourself and to uncover new components of yourself. And I guess as you continue to develop and grow and evolve, you're always going to discover new facets of your being that also might be tied to like new experiences, meeting new people, that sort of thing. So I think like, I would never suggest that like suddenly, 
you turn 30 and suddenly you know exactly who you are through and through and through, through and through and you are so like clear like yeah like you know you know exactly what you want to be doing with your time who you want to be friends with etc cetera, etc cetera. I would never become so dogmatic in my approach to things but I think that there is a lot I think you actually open up the door to new better and more fulfilling um possibilities when you have a clearer sense of what you like and what you don't like and the confidence to like express it and to set those boundaries and to act on that like for me recently I just like don't really I spent I started going out when I was like 12 years old I grew up in London we were in clubs at like 14 we just partied and then I went to Manchester University and continued it there and I think now I just like actively hate going out and I feel this real I'm like oh my god it becomes so boring and I just but I'm just like I just don't want to be in those environments I don't want to meet people in those environments and I don't want to be I just I would rather be at home with my book or go to a dinner party probably the book mm. um and I think I'm kind of grappling with that being like all the opportunities like, I'm gonna miss on the nights out and actually like I've I've been there I've done it you did you know I know I know what it feels like I know what it looks like it's time to walk away and I think yeah and I mean that's not to say that forever I will now only ever be a home hermit with book in hand obviously not but in this period of my life like I think I need you know that maybe I just need a bit more kind of quiet introspective time and that's going to be what allows me to do more writing to do more thinking it's going to lead to these new like you know strands of my work which I Mm. need that kind of slightly quieter more like peaceful existence for so I think yeah. boundaries boundaries are sexy as my pal this is, teacher this Always. is true <laughs> I, but I I also too love like a good quiet night with like friends because for me I I I, mean, I liked uh, there's a place called Oceana which I don't know if it's still around in the UK but I used to go there all the time it was just like this like tacky club and it was like one pound yeah. fifty for like shots and whatever it is yeah and I never used to be able to hear anyone and I just couldn't, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. And now I really want to enjoy a conversation as sad as it yes. sounds. And so for me going like a, into a club, like once in a blue, I was in Valencia in Spain for my 30th. And I went to this like Ooh. kind of like Ibiza on the waterfront, very posh, oh, gorgeous. Sort of like clubby sort of thing. And we had a yeah. table, but we were just a bit further away. So you could go in and not listen to anyone and you could step away and have a conversation with people. So it was a really nice balance because I was like, I, and my friends know that I don't like loud noises because I like to, even like, uh, so how's yesterday? I was in downtown and I was sitting by this boom box and it was just like, boo, boo, boo. and I couldn't hear my friend talking and we were trying to have this lovely sunset sort of experience. And I just like talking to people. And I think getting all having that for me that sentence like I just want to have a conversation with people sounds so old in a way because the younger generation and some people just want to be like in a rave like just going crazy (laughs) in their own mind but I actually love talking to people like I love meeting people all the time I'm that person who goes to restaurants who's talking to the the waiter about their life and what they want to do like my friends drag me away so as I got older I now know what environment I I prefer to be in and I want to be in conversation environments that's what I want to be in I think that's it it's like knowing the environments that are conducive to you feeling joyful and being like the best version of yourself and kind of yeah being able to kind of 
and get what you want sounds a little bit like grabby but yeah to kind of be in environments that allow you to, to to get what you want and to have yeah to have the kind of to experience to have the experiences that you want and I yeah. think also then like the power and learning to remove yourself from the situations that just never leave you feeling that good yeah and I think it's kind of remarkable to me that it personally has seemingly taken till I'm 30 to really get to that point but you know what I'm glad I'm here it's all right. And and the ability to speak your voice. I mean, I said to the I, I asked very politely to the, the person who was serving us yesterday, I said, is it possible you could just ask the DJ to turn the, the music down a tiny bit because I can't <laughs> hear my friend? And I have that and I have that power within myself to like be to speak up, going, I'm actually yeah. really uncomfortable. I could even move or I could just ask really politely. Obviously, she could just say, no, sorry, that's the music is the music or the volume is volume. But just ask like and I think that's the great thing about getting older. You really sit within the power of yourself to go, actually, I'm not really comfortable. I need I I what I need or I want or whatever. Totally. And you know what? Just as you say that, I think that's something that I have also thought about a lot recently is that I think in being better at setting my own boundaries of being able to be clear, like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that environment. But also giving people the like respecting those around me enough to that they will set their boundaries with me because I think I noticed I was being for a long while I think I was quite like apologetic I was always trying to kind of overcompensate like you sure it's okay if we do this do you mind do you mind if we do this uh is it possible for me to I just always felt that this kind of like guilt that I was coercing people to do things they didn't want to do or like pushing people's boundaries and I think in being clearer in setting my own I also it also kind of I think it allows me or gives me the space to trust that those around me are setting their boundaries clean enough. So when someone says, yeah, I'm happy to help you or yeah, I'm happy to do that or no, I don't want to do that. I can trust like, okay, you mean this. I don't need to second guess this and go down this whole rabbit hole. Like, sorry, okay, is this all right? Da, 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 da. Like take me as as like, as what I'm saying is is fat and I will and I will feel the same to you. So I think actually kind of goes both ways when it comes to boundary setting. Hopefully, and hopefully they're not um, <laughs> du- double pursing it. Sometimes they say yes, and actually what they mean, yeah. do you know what I mean? And that happens a lot in, I mean, especially Los Angeles, if people say something, <laughs> but actually they mean something else. So, and, but that's what happens in, in anywhere, like, because obviously it depends on who yeah. the, pers- the personality type that you're, that you're talking to. But hopefully if they say, yeah, I don't mind, and actually they don't actually mind, then you don't need to second guess or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, question, so you were, so how, so my first, my sort of, question because you were a producer at the BBC how did it all start like how did you get into this area and then go this is what I want to do rather than sort of working for a corporate company or working for continue working for the BBC etc well I well I've always been freelance so I've always had this I was always kind of um, probably from a degree of indecision, but also like never wanting to be too, on commitment phobia of like never wanting to be too tied into one company. But I so started the BBC because I was doing, I was do- doing my master's and working at Think Tank. I'd always been really interested in politics. And I listened to this amazing episode of Woman's Hour in which Jenny Murray interviewed um, Stephen Lawrence's mum. So he was a boy who was brutally murdered years ago in the UK. And the interview was one of those most powerful interviews that still sticks to me to this day. And it was an incredibly emotive interview and it was followed by an acoustic set by Beverly Knight um, of a song, Fallen Soldier, which she had dedicated to Stephen. And I was listening to this, this episode of the radio and I just was crying my eyes out in my room. And I was like, God, to be able to 
create something that can make people feel in such a strong, such a visceral way. It just kind of blew my mind. I'd always listened to the radio. I'd always been kind of, yeah, I'd always had radio for on at home. Had always been like loved audio. And I think it was at that moment. So I was at this think tank and I wasn't loving it. I felt like I'm think tank world felt a bit like slow. I wanted to be in somewhere a bit fast, more fast paced. So I applied for BBC work experience placement and got a placement and went to Women's Hour, went to Radio 4. And just moved around lots and continued there as a broadcast assistant again. And uh, alongside, I would constantly be like volunteering, put myself in places like volunteering at film festivals, literary festivals, anywhere and anywhere that I could get into a room with interesting people. That's kind of was always my agenda. How do I get closer to the people that I listen to on the radio, see on the TV? And that's mm-hmm. what I would always do. And through that, ended up getting um, a work shadow placement at Sky News. And so it was kind of freelancing at Sky and BBC. And it just happened that Sky News, you could just move up a bit faster they were just like if you were good you would just get moved around so I was like great we'll do that um but never committed to like a full-time job anywhere because I was like I'm not sure it's exactly the right place new 24-hour news was really interesting and it gave me this kind of frontline seat to politics which at that you know early 20s was so exciting I met all political leaders editors of the newspapers that sort of thing which to me was you know to this day actually being a runner was one of the best jobs you just meet everyone and have yeah. such fascinating conversations so I really relished that but was always a little bit on the fence like okay I'm not sure this is the thing that really like is going to light my soul on fire um primarily because I've always been more into like kind of deeper more like analytical uh journalism as opposed to that kind of fast-paced breaking news um stuff so anyway we ended up going to new york with sky news to cover the trump election as a producer um and met tina brown in an elevator taking her down to get her cab and at that point in my life i was 24 and i had decided that i needed to leave london i just had just felt at this real like junction i didn't really know what i wanted and i was like i just need to change everything so i kind of lied i was like i'm actually moving to new york in two months and i love what you're creating with women in the world which is a live journalism event and if you have any jobs i'd love to to know about them and for whatever reason fast forward two months i'd broken up my long-term partner left my job and left my flat in London and moved to New York and started with Tina Brown as producer there. And I think it was learning under the kind of tutelage of Tina Brown was kind of like a really big turning point in my career. And one that I increasingly realized how big it was for me as I get older and do what I'm doing now. Because I think what Tina created with Women in the World was, I'd never really seen like live journalism in action. So it was a live three-day event at the Lincoln Center where she really like, you know, when you read an incredible deep dive investigative piece of journalism and it hits you and it is incredible. It's like, wow, so well reported. She translated that into an, a live event um, environment and kind of it was a very, very mixed media. They We did like, these incredible like, short films would begin every segment. And anyway, what it showed me was like how to do an event really fucking well. I'd worked in events for years. I'd seen lots of crappy events done, boring panels, blah, blah. Tina Brown knew how to do live journalism like nobody else. And so I worked there as a freelancer for a couple of years and kind of moved between London and New York. I'd worked for Tina, then I'd go back and do stints on Sky News. But I think it was that that really gave me, I was like, this is what I love. This is the kind of journalism that, that will make me feel satisfied that I'm doing something that feels more purposeful and more mm-hmm. like, um, and more kind of purpose-driven. Anyway, came back to London and then just started setting up my own companies, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but I was like, okay, right. I've, I've seen what I want to create. Set up my first media company, very noble endeavor, terrible business plan called Ben. It was focused on US politics. Then set up Her Hustle, which is a creative production agency, which really created like live events, podcasts, and tried to kind of emulate that like 
essence of the events that Tina had created with Women in the World. Um, and that's kind of, trans and that really transitioned her hustle into Sex Talks, which is the um, event series uh, I host at the moment. And it's basically spinning out into loads of different kind of verticals. But I think, so for me, it was real, I've never been committed to a big organization. I think I've probably never felt sufficiently aligned with any one organization. It speaks to what we were talking about before as well, being perennially super curious and like a magpie for lots of different things. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to work with lots of different people on my own terms and create my own thing. So I've ended up architecting essentially that with the events I run, the media I do. And it means I get to have my finger in loads of pies. I'm a columnist for two different publications, including ES Magazine. I run events with different organizations. I, you know, do stuff with So House and the edition, but then I'll do stuff with like, you know, a bigger, and, you know, a totally different kind of bigger kind of corporation. And so I think it allows me to have that variety while still doing the thing I love, which is the producing, the broadcasting, the hosting, the presenting, the writing. Mm. So, so when, when you set up Her Hustle, which is the yeah. creative production agency, how what was your yeah. first, I mean, because some people will probably, I mean, this sort of goes into a different thing of entrepreneurship, but how did you yeah. set it up? Where did you get your clients? I mean, I'm sure people probably wanted to set up their own thing, but I, it'd be good yeah. to know, like, what was your sort of beginning points there? So the first thing I think, setting your own thing, is just start, is just do it. And I think it was, I, so it really came from my, oh, well, two things identify the problem that you're experiencing in your life that you want solving and then create a solution is the first piece of advice and second is just do it so her hustle really was born of the fact that I felt it was that it was just kind of post New York I still felt a bit unsure of my career and I was like I don't feel like career advice is ever being given in a very kind of effective good way it always feels really kind of staid and stodgy and boring and the events I've been to that have like offer career advice are crap and so a friend and I were discussing this kind of feeling both each in the same boat. And we we're like, well, why don't we create something where we can bring together amazing groups of women to hear other women's stories about how they've navigated their career, but actually make it like fun, sexy, great event that's also an alternative to going out and like getting pissed. So the we launched it. My friend at the time was working at Universal Music. So we launched the first event there. We had an amazing panel, three women, essentially demystifying the data of their life. Of, the day-to-day -day of their um, different respective jobs. And I think what it gave, what doing that first event kind of probably also with the naivety that I think is essential to when you first, you start your first thing. We just did it. We like, other people must be feeling how we're feeling. We want to hear from these incredible women. Let's do it in an environment that feels fun and sexy and, you know, exciting. And we did, and it was an incredible event. And it was the first time I ever, stepped on a stage to do my own presenting so I'd always been a producer I'd always been behind the scenes but wanting to be the one holding the microphone and I never forget I remember reading my first like describing what her hustle was was and obviously like, we didn't read we didn't know we just kind of like I mean talk about manifestation um and my voice was just trembling as I stood on stage I was like hi everyone um welcome to and just that that just nerves were just, you know, permeating, permeating my whole body. And now my happy place, I stand on the step, step on the stage and I feel like so happy and relaxed. And it's just like my most joyful, it's my, it's the place I'm most present when I'm hosting something, presenting something, when I'm just locked in this dialogue with the audience and with, you know, a deep conversation with my interviewees. So I absolutely love it. So I think, so yeah, so I think I just, we, we just launched it at Universal Music, you know, pulled in any favors we can of, of people that we knew worked at companies where they might want be happy to host us so we host them at kind of we work and 
Universal Music and a couple of other places. And then just really drew on our network of in terms of people that we knew, friends of friends, who we could interview, who we thought had interesting careers that other women would want to learn from. And, you know, it involved lots of late nights with spreadsheets because we were all still working full-time jobs, me and my best friend. And, but we were like, fuck, this feels so fun and exciting. And we didn't know all the hurdles that we'd invariably have to jump over as it grew. But as I said, that blissful naivety, I think is a really key ingredient when you're first starting something up when you're younger mm. it's so true isn't it i mean i think people always wonder like how things began like they they see the sort of the the tip of the iceberg but they never know like how to start where you get your first clients how you get your how to make um like a trademark how to like make it a company all these things that people yeah. don't really know when you first start out but obviously about by assisting and running in companies you get to learn the kind of ins and outs um yeah, yeah. And I just on that, I think it's, um, first of all, my friend Charmaine always says, just like, just Google it. It's just, and it's true. Like, you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. Just Google it. Literally someone else has written a like A to Z. I mean, my first, when I started my first company before that, I mean, I was honestly writing like user journey, like trying to work out design, how to write a business plan, make user journey. I just had no idea about any of this stuff. I just Googled, I just did a ton of research and mm-hmm. the information is out there. Other people have done it. Um, and I think that looking back, one thing I wish I'd done differently if I could change anything. So I wish I hadn't been so scared about knowing the end goal because I sometimes think, yes, it is good to have a you know, you want you want to have some goals you're working towards and, you know, a mission statement and a purpose. But I think you learn so much in the doing. And I think I was always really um, not paralyzed by this, but I was really I used to really stumble over the bigger, more existential questions of like, but where is my life going to go? Where is my career going to go? And would end up, I think, slowing myself down when actually the learning that I mean, you know, I, where I am now in terms of like, I run, you know, a sellout event series that is kind of just trans, um, which is now being translated in so many different things, which has given me so many opportunities that I feel so grateful for. And I'm so excited about If you told my younger self, all the things I get to do now, I would be like, wow. But the only reason I can do this is because I did her hustle before because I did the, like, you know, the company that didn't work before that, that I worked at Tina. But throughout all those periods of my life, I felt unsure about where it was going, what I was learning, what the end goal was. And I wish I could just kind of go back and be like, just learn as much as you can at every stage and just do, just move forward and do because you're learning and you're building experience and it's going to add up to something. I think that I feel like that. I was going to ask that the next question of like, what would you give back? But I feel like that was sort of it. <laughs> really it is just move forward and do just do because you can spend your i mean yeah i think build in time that's why you can't say like this way you have your like manifestation moments like build in time to be reflective and to like check in so i'll do kind of like quarterly i'll check in and be like okay where do i want to be in the next four months what do i want to be achieving what is my roadmap what are my priorities what is the kind of order priority that i want to set the things i want to achieve but then in that interim period have that time be reflective and then just do it some stuff is not going to work some stuff is going to be horrendous some stuff is going to cost you money and you're going to pick yourself in the butt for wasting that money but you're going to learn the whole time and I think now I'm just so hungry to learn as much as I can 
all the time. And that just means moving forward. It's better to move, I think, in some direction than to stay static. Because at Me least too. when you're moving, you're, you're, you're doing something. Yeah, but you're, you're also a Gemini. You're... you're Gemini. So yeah. um, you're always moving forward and always moving. Oh. And so, and Sorry. also just to finalize, so I did a bit of Googling and Take Waitiki is not a Gemini. He's a Leo. <gasps> Oh, interesting. interesting. Okay, so what does that mean? How much do you know about star signs? Tell me about Leo's. I don't know too much about star signs, but I think he's brave. He's fearless. <laughs> um, I think that's. I think those are the two points of mostly Leo. But brave. if anyone, if anyone knows more about horoscopes, which I probably think they are uh, listening to this, do send us an email and tell me oh. more about hor- horos- uh, horoscope. Is it horoscopes? Is it horoscopes? horoscopes. Yeah, horoscopes. Yes, a star, star signs. signs. Star, yeah, yeah, star yeah, signs. Yeah, star signs. Yeah, you get that's yeah. So do do email us and let me know more about star signs because I'm fascinated. And if you do also know anyone who is a star sign expert, we would love to hear because I would love to hear more about star signs. I got a couple of friends who tell me about my star signs, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I I'm probably a bit um tired this week. Yeah, that's cool. But I, I love to know like a full, extensive sort of like thing about my life. So you need to go and see this amazing woman called Nora, and I can't remember her last name. But she she appears so there's a podcast called Kagi's World, mm-hmm. um, which is presented by Kagi Dunlop, which take which looks at the impact of Saturn's return on people's lives and like that turning point. So Saturn's return between 27 and 30, where you go through all these like big life changes. And she brings on Nora as her astrological expert on every episode. And Nora shares her insights into what the significance of different like astrological um developments and points are. And the work that she does essentially it's there's an app, the pattern, which does something similar. Mm. But it's essentially um, it gives you an insight into like where you're at in your life and what kind of different um, kind of points are going to be significant for you based on your astrological chart when you were born at what time you're born well essentially where all the planets were when you were born so when you came onto the planet and I had a reading with her um, actually mid-pandemic I think so quite a few years ago just before I was 30 and she it was great it was incredible it was really Again, I'm I'm cynical but open-minded about these so things. So, can you send me her I'll email listen. or her number? I'm going to send you all her details. Please do. She's here, and I yeah, I think she's fabulous. I think she was really really good. Let's get on the show. Brilliant. Yeah, okay, yeah. I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 yourself. You have been 360. Thank you very much. Pleasure. <gasps> well, absolute joy in being 360. I just really enjoyed it. So, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our awesome guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our astonishing episodes released every Sunday, 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram for more discussions, education and inspiration at 360 underscore yourself. The host, that's me, Jamie Neal on Instagram at Jamie Neal JN. And once again, thank you for listening and remember to 360 yourself.